Good morning, and thanks for the invitation to speak here. Um, our diseases are a little harder to say than diabetes. We're more of a mouthful. Uh, so my work has primarily, in the last five or six years, focused on the increased risk of RA patients for cardiovascular risk, and so I'll describe that relationship. And then as much as you can probe mechanisms in clinical epidemiological research, we'll review what is known about that. And I'm mostly going to focus on our work and, and mention that of others briefly. So for those of you who don't know anything about RA, I'm going to just spend a couple of minutes discussing the inflammatory nature of it so that you'll have a, a kind of idea of where I'm heading. So this would be RA in its most severe form. And fortunately, we don't see this too much anymore because of the phenomenal uh, advances in treatment of the disease. But you can see its inflammatory potential is huge, very destructive. And there are four key factors in the pathogenesis of RA that you can keep in mind. One is that there's a genetic predisposition, MHC class two. Um, it's an autoimmune disease. The most prominent autoantibodies in this are rheumatoid factor, which is generally IgM against self-IgG. And this interesting antibody against um, citrullinated peptides, which I'll mention briefly along the road. There are some environmental triggers. Smoking clearly predisposes to the disease for some reason. Um, and also periodontal disease may also predispose to developing it. And it's a very, very, very inflammatory disease. The predominant cytokine in this disease is TNF-alpha. But there are others involved, obviously. So um, starts as some mild swelling and small joints can spread to 30, 40, 50 joints in the body. You didn't know you had that many, you do. Can start to cause some mild destruction, severe destruction, and is very painful, disabling. It's a disease of this synovium, which is this delicate, depicted here by this delicate beaded structure on the outsides of the joint. And this is normal synovium with its pr pretty loose connective tissue with a little bit of structure. And in rheumatoid synovium, there's this uh, tremendous inflammation in the sublining area with lymphocytes, both T cells, B cells, plasma cells, more macrophages. And then the lining area becomes hypertrophied as well. And this is mostly macrophages and fibroblasts. And if you were to look arthroscopically at a knee with mild RA, you see um, angiogenesis and then some mild hypertrophy of the synovium. And then in advanced severe disease, you see almost like a malignant tissue with multiple villi that just invades, secretes metalloproteases. And, other substances, free radicals, that can um, degrade surrounding cartilage and bone, and that's how you get all these destructive changes. So you see here sort of a progression of bone damage and then loss of the space between the bones where the cartilage is. You see the same thing here in the feet. And then this is just a dramatic example of the destructive potential for this disease. These are the femoral heads here. They should be down here. And they've migrated through bone all the way into the pelvic cavity. So this patient would have lost about two inches of height and just briefly, um, I mean, you could spend hours on pathogenesis, but in a, in a just uh, snapshot, there are multiple cells involved in this disease. But because of the genetic predisposition, we know that an interaction between T cells and antigen-presenting cells probably occurs as an early feature of the disease, and then subsequent B cell activation with production of these autoantibodies. And then these immune complexes presumably uh, as well as maybe gamma interferon, activate macrophages at the, in the lining of that synovial layer. And that causes this profuse secretion of TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, and other um, mediators of innate immunity, which then activate chondrocytes to degrade their own matrix, synoviocytes to degrade their own matrix as well. And it's a systemic disease with constitutional features, cachexia, 
other organ involvement and indicators of systemic inflammation like elevated sed rate and CRP, and these are some of the other tissues that can be involved. So it is a systemic disease. So getting to the meat of the matter is that patients with RA also have uh, shortened lifespans. And this was shown even 20 years ago in a study comparing control women without RA here in the pink. This is mortality over um, about 20 to 25 years. And these are women without RA compared to in the blue women with RA. You see this wide separation in survival curves. And the same with men without RA in green and men with RA in, in uh, uh, orange, and the major cause of the excess deaths was identified even then as cardiovascular disease. That didn't really uh, get noticed much until probably the last seven or eight years. So if you look at lifespan, it's decreased by about five to ten years, and the standardized mortality rates in a number of epidemiological studies range from 1.3 to 3.0. And if you look at non-mortal non diseases, just cardiovascular events in general, they occur at rates about two to four times higher in RA patients compared to controls. And they present a little bit differently. They're more likely to have silent uh, myocardial infarctions. Here are the RA patients. Oh, this is from Mayo, the Mayo Clinics showing over, a, uh, they followed the, their Rochester epidemiological cohort for 30, 40 years. And they, RA patients here in black are more likely to have silent MIs than age and gender match controls. Um, the converse is that they have less angina. And they're more likely to have sudden death than controls. Likewise, if you look at those patients who have acute coronary syndrome or MIs, the RA patients are more likely, they have reduced survival post-MI compared to the controls. So it's a significant problem, for sure, in RA. And we see the same in lupus. And it's less well studied in our other inflammatory diseases, but it seems that the same trend exists across the board for inflammatory diseases. So there are a number of reasons that this could occur. One is or you could just say they have more diabetes, more hypertension, more whatever, and that's not the answer, and I'll explain why. Um, it, it probably plays a role, but certainly not the answer. Um, there could be just, a, it could be just a factor of the drugs that we use. Steroids are proatherogenic. COX-2 drugs promote thrombosis, methotrexate, and anti-TNF uh, therapies can have some adverse um, effects on the vasculature. But at the same time, they also reduce inflammation. So if inflammation's driving it, you could say that they make it better. Our patients with RA tend to be more sedentary because they hurt a lot. So maybe this is just a factor of deconditioning. Maybe they have increased thrombotic tendency. There's some data to suggest that, but not overwhelming. But most people favor this idea that, that it's chronic, intense inflammation that's present in, in RA that drives this increased risk. So we'll explore that a bit. Whoops. Um, so we know that atherosclerosis in the general population is an inflammatory disease, and epidemiological data show that with CRP and multiple other measures of inflammation are, are good independent predictors of future cardiovascular events, even more potent than LDL cholesterol. And also when you look at plaques, um, histopathologically, they're the same types of inflammatory cells, same kinds of cytokines that are released as in the RA synovium. So people have argued that while atherosclerosis is a low-grade inflammatory disease, RA is a high-grade inflammatory disease, and it might just fuel that process and drive it along at a faster pace, maybe initiate it earlier and drive it more quickly. And this is just a reminder that in the atherosclerotic plaque, there are these activated macrophages, activated presumably by um, lipid particles that are internalized, and then this causes foam cells which release a lot of the same mediators of innate immunity that we see in the rheumatoid synovium. 
So the idea is, do these two diseases share common pathways? And as, uh, as some people like to say, is cardiovascular disease another extra-articular feature of RA? So um, we got interested in this about uh, seven years ago or eight years ago and didn't really want to study cardiovascular events because they're hard to gather. They're not that many. You require five, 10, 15,000 patients to study. So we, and plus, if you want to make an impact in patients, you might want to discuss, you know, identify the problem early while it's asymptomatic. So we um, designed a study that was funded by NIAMS uh, to look at the prevalence and progression of subclinical cardiovascular disease. And by that, we meant atherosclerosis and subclinical myocardial dysfunction as well as peripheral vascular system. Is, it in, is the prevalence increased in RA compared to non-RA, and is the progression faster? But the critical question is, could we explore whether inflammation really is an independent and incremental risk for subclinical cardiovascular disease above and beyond conventional risk factors? And for our control group, we used the MESA study, multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, of which um, Hopkins was a site and Columbia is a site for it as well. So I designed the study around the MESA study so that we'd have the best um, way to, to compare the two groups. So we used the same age cutoff as MESA um, to enhance uh, the likelihood that we pick up subclinical disease. And we enriched our population for men, because RA is more common in women on a two-to-one basis. So we made sure that 40% of our, our patients were men. And they, like MESA, they were not allowed to have any prior cardiovascular events. And they came in for three visits over four years, and we did coronary calciums at visit one and three, carotid ultrasounds at one and three, and ABIs at the same time. And in a subset, uh, we, did, we also did cardiac MRIs because we were interested in whether there was any abnormality in left ventricular function and structure um, subset because it's so expensive. We also were interested in body composition and uh, what impact that might have on cardiovascular risk. So we added DEXA scans at visit one and three and then did a slice of the abdomen at visit actually one and three and a slice through the thigh and then gathered a lot of biospecimens. So the mean age of the group is older than most RA studies because we were selecting people greater than 45. They were 60% <clears throat> female by design, mostly Caucasian. Unfortunately, we had a lot of difficulty enrolling African Americans, and we don't have any his in Baltimore. We didn't have his significant Hispanic population at all. Most of the patients had um, advanced disease, but about 20% had disease less than two years, so we did have some early patients. This is a measure of their RA disease activity. It's in the low to moderate range. And then this is a disability score, which shows that they were mild, relatively mildly disabled, which uh, is a testimony to the different treatment that we have now compared to 10 years ago. So <coughs> we measured, <coughs> we were interested in, <coughs> excuse me, measuring atherosclerosis in two different vascular beds. So we looked at the coronary arteries using um, computed tomography, and we were measuring I'm sorry, I'm always hoarse. We're measuring coronary artery calcium. And just about the time that we were ready to an finally analyze our data, another group at Vanderbilt published data on the same thing. And they, sh they looked at patients with advanced RA compared to early RA compared to control subjects who were matched for age and gender. And this is the overall Agatston score, or the coronary calcium score. And, and you can see that in the established patients, it's higher than the control subjects. These are median values. <clears throat> whereas it was not different from the early RA. They looked more like control subjects. 
And then when they looked at just the overall prevalence of any coronary calcium, a score greater than zero, there was a higher level of, a higher prevalence of any calcium in the RA group compared to controls, as you might postulate if, uh, if the disease is driven by inflammation and if it's enhancing the risk for atherosclerosis. So when they did calculate their odds ratio of having any coronary calcium compared to controls, the odds ratio was 3.03. .03. And when they adjusted for age, sex, and all the conventional risk factors, you can see that the odds ratio was not significantly reduced. <clears throat> and this is how a lot of the EPI studies have looked at the role of conventional risk factors in the increased risk of cardiovascular disease. If you don't see a decrease in the odds ratio when you adjust for hypertension, diabetes, obesity, et cetera, et cetera, then the conclusion is that there's something about the disease itself that's driving it, and it's not due to just enhanced risk factors. So that's sort of an indirect way that um, supports the idea that it's inflammation or something about RA that drives the increased risk. <clears throat> so in our data, uh, we looked at prevalence ratios for any coronary calcium in RA versus um, non-RA, and this is the model that's adjusted for age, gender, and all the conventional risk. And you see that there's no statistically significant increase in prevalence of any coronary calcium, except when you split it out by gender, and then it is significant in men, but not women. And when we added, just for fun, we adjusted for IL-6 here as a measure of inflammation, and it did reduce the ratio modestly, but only modestly. <clears throat> But here are our data for our pa all the patients that had any coronary calcium. So we've taken out the patients with zero scores now. And we've looked at um, the relative coronary calcium. These are RA patients on the top and controls on the bottom. And these are adjusted for all the things that we just mentioned. These are unadjusted values. So you see in the adjusted measurements that the RA patients had about 50 units higher coronary calcium than the controls. And this was very statistically significant. When we divided it by gender, again, you see that there's not a big difference between women, but you see this very widespread here in men, that RA men clearly had advanced atherosclerosis compared to controls. And then to try and get to the issue of whether inflammation is driving it, what we did is we devised a propensity score that took into account a lot of measures of disease activity and severity, so how many swollen joints, how much tenderness, how much disability, how much uh, bone damage on the x-rays, and so forth. And then we divided the RA patients into tertiles of low, medium, and high um, disease activity severity. And then we looked at their coronary calcium scores compared to the controls, which are on the left. And you can see that for the total subjects, the patients with moderate to high disease activity severity clearly had higher coronary calciums than the controls whereas the low disease activity did not. And that held for both women and men. And now the women are showing a big difference between um, RA and non-RA if you look at the moderate to high disease activity. So measuring inflammation in RA, aside from a CRP sed rate, IL-6 TNF, is, is difficult clinically because we don't have a single score. It's, it's easier if you have a hemoglobin A1C or a glucose. We have uh, how many swollen joints, tender joints do you have? Do you feel good? Do you not feel good? How much pain do you have? What does the doctor think about that? You know, and, and then the SED rate and CRP factor in that as well. So this is our best guess as how to do that. And it does look like, again, this crude indirect way of, of looking at inflammation might tell us that it's driving this increased risk for subclinical atherosclerosis. But it's, it's a leap of faith. Interestingly, um, we were, there had some, been several reports that the genetic association that you see with RA, which is the um, HLA, 
HLA-DR beta-1 chain of DR4, DR10, and a couple of other molecules seem to predispose patients to cardiovascular events. So we looked at this with regard to subclinical disease. And this is the probability of having severe coronary calcium. And if you had none of these alleles that conveyed susceptibility to RA, you had about 15% probability of having severe atherosclerosis. Whereas if you had any shared epitope allele or one or two, there was no dose response. But if you had one or two, then there was an increased risk. This is a small number of patients, but it, we did use it for preliminary data in, in our current grants. Now we have um, funding to look at this in a much bigger population. So we've gathered cohorts across the country to, to look at this. Um, so in summary at this point, in, in these studies of coronary calcium, um, prevalent coronary calcium correlated with disease activity and severity. But interestingly, when we tried to correlate it with all the measures that we did of inflammation, like IL-6 and uh, IL-1, uh, uh, various endothelial markers, there was no association at all. Um, Presence of shared epitope correlated with atherosclerosis, but not the tightly associated autoantibodies, rheumatoid factor or anti-CCP, which was curious. And it also correlated with prednisone, as you might expect, and also disability. So one of the problems with just looking at uh, coronary calcium is that it only measures advanced plaque. And if you're interested in studying myocardial infarctions or risk for myocardial infarctions, you know that the non-calcified plaque is more likely to rupture. It's this soft inflamed plaque that's the vulnerable plaque. So we also wanted to look at um, atherosclerosis in a bed with a technique that didn't just look at calcified uh, uh, plaque. And that's easier now with PET scans and other more sensitive methods. But at that time, we didn't have that quite available. So we ended up using carotid ultrasound. And this is just a reminder that it's it's not the plaque that uh, is fibrotic and doesn't have inflammation that ruptures. It tends to be the plaque that has lots of inflammation, um, causing metalloprotease in production and thinning of this fibrous cap that ultimately causes thrombosis. So we did coronary, uh, carotid ultrasound in our patients as well. And we were interested in both the common carotid and the internal carotid. Most of the studies that had been done previous to this were very small numbers of patients, and they only looked at the common carotid. But most of the atherosclerosis actually occurs in the internal carotid. And it takes more time, and it's a little bit trickier to do. But we spent some time and used our MESA collaborators and MESA uh, carotid ultrasound technicians to do the studies. And these are our data. Um, this is common carotid on the left and internal carotid on the right. And again, the RA patients are the triangles on top, and the controls are on the bottom. The adjusted values are always on the right, so we'll just pay attention to those. So you can see, when we look by decades of age here, that for the carotid bed, the RA patients have no increase in the internal medial thickness compared to controls in the common carotid. But when you look at internal carotid, there's clearly <clears throat> an increase in the internal medial thickness in RA patients compared to controls. And this is persistent across the age. You start to lose it here at the, the higher age. And we also saw an increase in prevalence of plaque, almost twofold increase in RA and black here compared to control. <clears throat> and you see that at the younger age, the medium age, and then you start to lose that at the older age. And some of these differences that you lose as you get older is presumably because conventional risk factors probably overwhelm the system and dilute out the effect of RA by that point. <clears throat> We again saw this interesting association with the HLA-DR beta-1 shared epitope uh, genes. Again, no correlation with 
inflammatory markers here or with disease activity or severity in contrast to the coronary findings. So it's a little confusing. Maybe our number of patients is too small to see an association. Maybe it's because we're just looking cross-sectionally. So we also did um, prospective studies, and we now have, uh, well, I'll come to that in a second, we now have data analyzed on the three-year or four-year time point for the carotid studies, and we're just now looking at the coronary artery studies. But this is an example of the lack of correlation of an inflammatory marker in cross-sectional studies with, uh, in this case, it's the internal carotid IMT. You see that there's a pretty good regression, a reasonable regression here. I forget what the R value is. For IL-6 levels on the x-axis with internal carotid intermedial thickness in the MESA patients. But in RA, this, there's no association. The IL-6 levels are all over the map. And the way we've kind of thought about this is possibly, although these are cross-sectional data, if you think about it prospectively, RA patients' disease activity goes up and down and up and down, and you're changing treatment. And so at any given time point, they could be at any stage of those of, of the disease, whereas control patients who don't have inflammatory diseases probably have relatively stable IL-6 levels over time, except for those that are perhaps developing atherosclerosis, where there might be a very slow increase. And so you, you might be able to detect these associations more easily in patients without inflammatory disease than in those that have flares and remissions and flares and remissions. So we are hoping that the prospective data will add a little bit of uh, information, and, and it does, actually. So these are our prospective data for the um, internal carotid IMTs. Uh, well, it's a common and internal. And this is the average yearly change in micrometers. And you can see here the internal carotid um, median change over the three years, three and a half years, was 25 micrometers, whereas the change in the common carotid was 16. And that's typical in the general population as well, that you see more substantial increases here than you do in the common carotid. And I won't show you all the data, but when we looked at the, we didn't have control data here because it was just too expensive to go back and read all of the controls. You have to reread your baselines at the same time as you read your, your follow-up point. And uh, it cost $40,000 to do the, the analyses for the RA patients, and it would have been 80000 to have controls, and we just couldn't afford it. So we just looked at the RA patients, but um, interestingly, and we had to look at it separately because of the differences in the IMTs in the internal versus common carotid. For the internal carotid, steroids clearly were a big predictor of progression, and statins were a predictor of lack of, re of progression. Um, but nothing about disease activity played a role here. In the common carotid, um, interestingly, anti-TNF therapy suppressed progression, and that's exciting. There are some large epidemiological studies suggesting also that anti-TNF therapy may, in fact, treat cardiovascular disease, or at least, you know, it's not a, it's not a treatment study, but in cohort studies it suggests that anti-TNF treatment is associated with fewer cardiovascular events like MIs. Um, and then when we looked at these predictors of plaque progression, swollen joints and CRP were two that really came out very statistically significant. So, you know, there's some hint here that inflammation might drive progression um, and that anti-inflammatory treatment might suppress progression. So this is the closest we've come to kind of proving or, or at least developing a hypothesis. Yeah.
Yeah, this is always seen for the internal carotid um, be because of the range of patient. It's just very variable. Um, yeah. Uh, the negative values could mean that they're regressing, or it could mean that it's a reader issue. Mm -hmm. So we use the same reader that Mesa reads, and you know they, that we did the best we could to have the best readings. You see negative scores like this too in the when you do bone X-ray assessments of RA progression, and in that case, sometimes it is true regression of or you know filling in of erosions and. In some of the statin studies, they have seen some patients with negative scores as well, so it could be that they're truly regressing. We don't know for sure. I wouldn't interpret it that way. So, so some data suggesting that, that some measures of inflammation can partially explain more uh, baseline atherosclerosis and faster progression of atherosclerosis and RA. But I want to come back to this issue about is there increased prevalence of conventional cardiovascular risk in RA. And this is somewhat um, controversial. There are a lot of studies, but I would, putting them together, I would say that, that there's clearly a higher prevalence of hypertension in the majority of the studies, ours included. Our patients with RA had more systolic and diastolic hypertension, modest elevations. Now, that could be due to some problem in the vasculature. It could also be that it's not recognized as much by the practitioners. It's not as aggressively treated. There could be many factors that don't have necessarily anything to do with the pathobiology of the disease. In almost every study, there's more higher prevalence of insulin resistance in RA patients compared to controls, but not more diabetes. There are one or two studies showing more diabetes, but the majority do not show that. We know that dyslipidemia occurs more frequently in inflammatory diseases and uh, in ICU settings, for example. Um, in dogs and human studies, if you infuse TNF-alpha or IL-6, you can actually induce a state of insulin resistance. I, I'm sure you all know that. I'm preaching to the choir. And then metabolic syndrome seems to be increased in RA in general, which is not surprising since it's composed of a lot of these individual measures. So again, what is the cause? Is inflammation driving this? Um, cardiovascular risk, or is it under treatment, lack of exercise, who knows what. So we were interested in this question when we started the study, in particular the role that abdominal obesity might play, and could RA patients maybe have more um, abdominal obesity? And again, I'm preaching to the choir here, but visceral fat seems to be the abdominal depot of fat that seems to be more tightly associated with conventional cardiovascular risk. And in uh, studies that we had done Prior to this, with using DEXA scan, we showed that, that patients who have rheumatoid arthritis have a higher prevalence of, of too much fat compared to normal uh, control patients. So here we see this 60, almost 60% versus 35. They also have less muscle, and the prevalence of having both sarcopenic obesity is higher in RA, at least in women. The same trends were present for men, but not statistically significant. So they have more fat overall by DEXA scan. So the question is, do they have more visceral fat? And so these are the data showing um, that slice through the abdomen at L3-4 that we used and compared it to um, MESA patients. So we have abdominal, total abdominal fat area here, visceral fat area, and then subcutaneous fat. And these are the women on the left and men on the right. 
adjusted values again on the right side. So here you see total abdominal fat area in women is statistically higher than control women, but not for men. So women have more fat if they have RA than controls. But when you break it down to visceral fat, the men are clearly different here. RA men have much more visceral fat than controls. It was about a 60% increase. Whereas RA women are, look the same as controls, but then when you look at sub-Q fat, RA women have a lot more sub-Q fat, um, whereas men don't. So it's an interesting gender-specific dichotomy, um, not surprising, you know, because it's similar to the general population, but clearly the RA patients have more fat, and at least RA men have a lot more visceral fat. So this could be contributing, perhaps, to the inflammatory load that patients have. When we looked at, um, just in a univariate analysis, uh, the effect of truncal mass on CRP levels, we divided patients into those with um, just a dichotomous split, those with lower swollen tender joints versus those with higher swollen tender joints. And the relationship between truncal fat mass and CRP is the same, and it's a very tight relationship. So when we adjusted for swollen joints and so forth, we still found that the amount of abdominal fat was a very big predictor of CRP elevations in our patients. So not all of our inflammatory markers are measuring swollen joints. They're clearly picking up fat that seems to be coming from other sources, uh, inflammation coming from other sources like fat. So the way we're kind of thinking about our RA patients uh, at the moment is that the inflammatory process itself is probably more exuberant in the vasculature but we can't prove that without directly looking at the vasculature, and that's what we're going to be doing hopefully soon, at least by imaging. And that this enhanced, putatively enhanced vascular inflammation will drive some of the atherosclerosis risk that we see um, and also may impinge on myocardial disease. But concomitant with that, the systemic inflammation drives metabolic risk, perhaps, um, insulin resistance, dyslipidemia, and so forth. And it also results somehow in, there's a direct effect of inflammation on decreased muscle mass. We don't know exactly how inflammation could result in fat mass or if it's just due to decreased physical activity, but this increased fat mass then can promote metabolic risk and then indirectly promote cardiovascular disease as well. So it's kind of a, maybe a direct effect and an indirect effect um, this way. The other thing I want to just talk real briefly about is the issue of heart failure, which is also increased in prevalence and incidence in patients with RA, and the um, hazard ratios range from about 1.4 to 1.9 or so, even after adjusting for ischemic heart disease. So you take out the patients that had the MIs, and you still see this significant association. Um, so we were interested in this also at the, the beginning of our study because there, there had been some autopsy studies in RA, there, there's very little information on the heart in terms of histopathology in rheumatoid arthritis. And there had been two studies in the 1960s that compared RA hearts to age and gender match controls, and they saw inflammation throughout all the layers of the myocardium, um, even in the blood vessel walls, compared to controls. And these, as best we can tell, were differentiated from rheumatic fever, which could still be confused in the 1960s. Um, so we were interested in that, and this is why we ended up getting the cardiac MRIs. <clears throat> and I told you that TNF-alpha is the most important cytokine in driving rheumatoid arthritis by most studies and most people's estimation. And we know that if you 
transgenically expressed TNF overexpressed TNF alpha in mice, they'll develop a spontaneous arthritis, which really goes far in proving that this is an important cytokine in the disease. But it also turns out that if you overexpress TNF alpha uh, in cardiac restricted fashion in mice, that you they develop spontaneous heart failure and die from it very rapidly. So these are littermate controls, and these are the transgenic mice, both at four weeks, and you see the bigger heart in the transgenic mice. And this is the, uh, you can see here that there's chamber dilation compared to controls and thinning of the walls here. And if you can see these very well, there's some inflammatory infiltrate in the myocardium in the transgenic mice compared to controls. And then at eight weeks, you see an even bigger heart compared to controls more dilation and more thinning of the wall and more inflammation in the myocardium, and you start to see this um, bad-looking myocardium. So does this translate to human disease? It, it seems to, because if you look at prevalent heart failure, um, serum levels of TNF-alpha are elevated compared to controls, and they do correlate with severity. And also, if you look at prospective uh, epidemiological studies, elevated levels of TNF-alpha and IL-6 are also associated with a downstream increased risk of, of heart failure, just like with cardiovascular events like MIs. And then if you look at actual tissue, mRNA and protein for TNF-alpha are constitutively expressed in failing but not normal myocardia. So this does suggest that the TNF-alpha does play an important role in heart failure. So if TNF drives inflammation in RA and they get increased risk of heart failure, is TNF one of the things that's driving it? Um, so what we argued is that RA patients would have chronic low-grade inflammatory myocarditis, and we couldn't, weren't doing biopsies to prove that, but we thought if they did have this, that they would be on the road to developing heart failure in an asymptomatic way. And just about every other uh, human condition causing heart failure goes through a stage where there's increased left ventricular mass. So we assume that if these patients had an increased prevalence of pre-heart failure, that the RA patients then should have higher left ventricular masses than the controls. But we actually saw the exact opposite, surprisingly. So now the RA patients are on the bottom instead of the top. And our, here we have all subjects, women and men, and our adjusted values, again, are on the right. So you see, for all subjects, RA patients had quite a marked reduction in left ventricular mass, about 20% compared to controls, not as marked in women, very marked in men. And then when we looked by um, decade of life here, the changes persisted over time. And interestingly, if you plot out, again, these are cross-sectional data. They look like they might be prospective, but they're cross-sectional. Um, these are the MESA controls in blue. And these are the RA patients in red, and men here and women here. So an RA man who's about 45 years old has the same left ventricular mass approximately of an 80-something or high 70-year-old uh, non-RA man. So quite a profound finding. And it seems to start early because there already is this big discrepancy by the age of 45. And then they follow pretty parallel tracks. Uh, so it's, it's quite interesting and surprising to us. Um, so you might say, well, it's just lack of exercise. They just have small hearts because they're not exercising. And we looked through the literature and couldn't find anything where people looked at sedentary versus non-sedentary LV masses or some measure of heart function. It wasn't out there. And I talked to several exercise physiologists and couldn't really find any satisfying information that that had been studied adequately. So it's, it's 
it might be the case, but when we adjusted for the amount of physical exercise that the patients say they engaged in, we didn't see that as a predictor of low ventricular mass. People lie about how much exercise they do, and I think our RA patients are no exception. So it'd be nice to be able to document that better than just by self-report. But when we did look at low uh, factors that were associated with low LV mass, there were really only two that were statistically significant in the multivariate analyses, and these were high titers of antibodies to these citrullinated peptides, um, and then anti-TNF therapy was, was associated with low LV mass as well. Um, one thing I should say is we don't know if a smaller heart is a good thing or a bad thing. You know, is it, is it a point on the pathway to heart failure? Did it pass the high LV mass or not, or is it, is it a good thing? We don't know. It's a single point in time. Um, so we do have a study coming up where we're going to try and probe this a little bit more. But the anti-CCP antibodies are interesting. I, I didn't put a slide in, but what does citrullinated mean? It's a, it's a post-translational modification of where arginine is removed and replaced by an oxygen. So uh, that happens a lot in inflammation where you get peptides that are citrullinated, but it's only, it's relatively specific that in RA you develop antibodies against it. You can see citrullinated substances in inflammatory bowel disease, psoriasis, and other things, but they don't generate an autoantibody response. So we're pretty sure that these antibodies, which are tightly linked to the shared epitope, is really a genetically um, uh, propelled event. So we decided to look at some hearts, um, and <clears throat> we don't have biopsies of our live patients' hearts, but we went to the autopsy uh, files at Hopkins and found, did a sort of rigorous chart review. These are flawed studies, of course. Autopsy studies always are. But we did as rigorous a review of the diagnosis of RA as we could, and then we found age and gender matched controls and um, looked for citrullination, and we saw significantly increased citrullination in the RA patients compared to controls. So this was, again, just a hypothesis-generating kind of finding, and now we're looking with Jenny Van Eyck, who's a cardiovascular proteomics person at Hopkins, um, looking at for... Um, protein substrates that are citrullinated using mass spec and have found some interesting hits so far, like um, some of the structural proteins in the myocardium seem to be citrullinated, so that's going to be potentially quite interesting. Um, so again, we don't really, this finding of decreased mass is interesting, but we don't really know why it, is it just decreased conditioning, is it due to inflammation that causes maybe myocyte apoptosis or necrosis, or is it perhaps vasculopathy? And I didn't dwell on it, but I showed you a picture earlier with a, a black finger. Patients with RA can get vasculitis, an inflammatory condition that causes ischemia, so why couldn't they get it in the heart as well? So we looked, um, for prelimin as preliminary data, we looked at three patients who had very active disease uh, by MRI using adenosine to vasodilate and gadolinium to measure blood flow. Um, and so this is, a, this is one of the images for MRI. The white stuff is the gadolinium sitting in the, the uh, chamber of the left ventricle. And then this is all left ventricular wall. And so the white, whitish areas, the gray areas, are where gadolinium has perfused 